You are listening to Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. Emotional inclusion is a call to all companies to take a stand and realize the urgent need to invest in a trained professional in their organizations to address the emotional state of their employees, and particularly those who need to be reintegrated into the workforce post trying circumstances. Over my decade and a half long career in the fashion industry and listening to hundreds of stories of people who have navigated work whilst facing the perfect storm, I realized the urgent need to advocate a safe platform in the corporate world where emotions can be heard, recognized, and dealt with for an enhanced business productivity. I invite you to tune in as I share practical wisdom and empowering conversations with influential leaders to break down archaic business stereotypes and lead the way to a better emotionally accepting corporate ecosystem. The Emotional Inclusion Podcast is here to shatter the status quo of today's business landscape and lead the way to a wholesome new mindset in the workforce. Hi, my name is Leanne Robes and I am a psychologist, coach to leaders, and co-founder of She Loves Tech, and you are listening to the Emotional Inclusion Podcast. Today's guest is Leanne Roberts, a psychologist, coach, and entrepreneur. She coaches leaders to build self-compassion and overcome self-limiting beliefs. A frequent speaker and advisor, Leanne specializes in helping leaders thrive during challenging times by building resilience, agility, and the ability to seize opportunities amid adversity by using techniques from neuroscience and psychology. Leanne co-founded the world's largest startup competition for women in technology, She Loves Tech, which operates in 20 countries. Since 2013, she has been speaking and consulting for companies ranging from Fortune 500 corporations to bootstrap startups. Her work has helped leaders and teams to build a better organizational culture, improve performance, and navigate challenging situations. In 2019, Leanne was selected as an Obama leader, a highly selected program for change makers on top of winning the Champion of Change Award. Leanne was furthermore awarded the Paul J. Portion Award for Excellence and Entrepreneurship from the University of Pennsylvania. She is currently a PhD candidate in psychology. Leanne, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Molly, for having me. You and I have had many long phone conversations around the psychological legitimacy of emotional inclusion in the workplace. I can't wait for us to just dive in and share our content with our listeners. So let us perhaps start with this. Within the scientific realm, what are emotions and how do they influence us? That's a good question, Molly. 
Well, emotions are neurophysiological reactions and that are unleashed by an external or internal stimulus. Okay, so there's a bunch of words here and a lot of it might have gone over our heads, but what does this really mean? Yeah. It means that emotions are a reaction to something that we experience and that results in a feeling. And we experience things emotionally all the time. So, for example, if we are going on a roller coaster and we get off the roller coaster, somebody asks us, you know, Molly, how did that feel? How was that for you? What would you say? Wonderful, or that was crazy scary. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> But we're going to say, you know, that, wow, this was the best thing that happened to me. You know, this was wonderful. This was amazing. This was thrilling. Or we're going to say, oh, my goodness, it's terrifying. I feel like throwing up. But what you do is you're describing an emotion. You are describing how that made you feel. You're not saying to people, oh, my body kind of went up and down a couple of times. We did three loops in a row. You're not saying that. Yeah. So the first thing that we need to know about emotions really is that, number one, we need to recognize that we have them. They are there. Sometimes we acknowledge them and sometimes we absolutely don't. And the second thing is, you know what? Everyone has emotions. And it's okay to have emotions. Thirdly, the emotions are so powerful. You know, they really change the way that you see the world. They change how we behave. And our emotions really just don't care whether we love them or we hate them. They don't even care whether we recognize them and we notice them. You know, Molly, you and I have spoken so much about people dismissing emotions yeah. and saying that emotions are really, what's that word that we use? Fluffy. Yeah. And, you know, I work with so many people. I meet so many people and I've seen how they dismiss emotions. They say that emotions are not important. They say that this is something that they can ignore. Yeah, and emotions have such a bad reputation, specifically in the workforce. And I've personally been in the corporate world for a decade and a half, and I can really testify to that, you know, and showing one's emotion is perceived as a sign of weakness. And exactly. So could you please perhaps maybe expand on all the scientific data, data that is there proving that our emotions are in fact really our strengths? That is so interesting because companies constantly talk about bringing your whole self to work. They talk about being authentic, right? That's the new buzzword, being authentic. Uh -huh. To show your personality, they say, we want you to be comfortable here. Completely, yeah. But... The truth is, right, that you and I right. know that they don't deliver on this. No, absolutely. 
Yeah. In fact, I think we are almost trained to think that showing emotion at work is unprofessional. Yeah. That you won't be respected, you won't be taken seriously. But you know, the thing is that we all know that this isn't true, right? Even if we don't realize it. So, uh, you know, everyone has that someone in their life who's magnetic, who we're drawn to. People admire them. People love them. What is it about those people? You know, we call them charismatic. They make you feel good. They make you feel like you're their best friend. They make you feel so special. You can tell them anything, your deepest, darkest secret. And they do it by connecting with you emotionally. And through my line of work, I've been very fortunate to meet the most amazing people. I would say that the most charismatic person I've ever met was Mrs. Michelle Obama. And -hmm. I had the pleasure of meeting her last December through the Obama Leadership Program. And you know, Molly, I don't know whether you've experienced this before, but when I met her, I was floored by her. Mm. She was so passionate, so dynamic. Have you seen her? There's something to be said about the aura around a person who not only knows who he or she is, but is absolutely passionate about what they do and live alongside their values and stand up for them in their day to day. I think that's very, very profound. And this is what oftentimes, though, one will say, invariably at the company you work for, what really matters at the end of the day is the boss you have, right? Mm. And the boss you have who inculcates from the top bottom the culture of the company, the environment in which the employees bathe in. And whether or not the boss is awesome or not, emotionally attentive or not, it makes a huge difference. And you know what I would love to hear is, is there any scientific data that proves that our emotions are really our core strengths? that they are not weaknesses and that we can utilize these emotions to better advance on a company level and push forth success by allowing that realm to exist. Yeah. And there's a bunch of studies that basically compare as well. Employees who have managers who have a high emotional intelligence with employees who have managers who have a low emotional intelligence. And they have found that the companies with leadership with low emotional intelligence, they have feelings of burnout at work and that triples. They fear speaking up. But in contrast, those who had managers with high emotional intelligence, they report that they feel inspired two to three times more often at work. Wow, that's amazing. And their engagement at work triples. Wow. And it's really because they manage to find that purpose, that meaning at work. And you're so right that having the right kind of boss is so important. Somebody 
who doesn't make us feel like they are perfect, who, you know, comes off as empathetic, who embraces their emotions as a part of who they are and a part of how they communicate. I love what you're saying. And as a psychologist with extensive experience with leaders and corporates, what would you say are the limitations that you face with patients who cannot cope well at work in the wake of challenging times? For a therapist to know that the culture of the company would help him or her achieve quicker and sharper results with its said patient. Could you expand a bit on that? Yeah. I see being a therapist sometimes as being a little bit like a detective. Yeah. I like that. Patient isn't going to come in and tell you what's wrong. Sometimes they don't even know what's wrong. They just know that their life is being affected. And they don't wrap it up into this nice present with a bow and hand it to you. And what I find as one of the biggest limitations is that as a society, you know, we're not very emotionally literate. We're not good about talking about our emotions. There's a fascinating piece of study done by Brene Brown, and she surveyed 15,000 people. And she asked them to write down the name of the emotion that they could recognize in themselves and in others. Guess what the mean number of emotions that people could identify in themselves and in others. You would think it's, you know, pretty high. We have so many emotions. There are 230 over emotions that I can recognize. We recognized on average three. Wow, out of the entire scope of emotions. Out of the entire scope. Isn't that fascinating? And tell me, what are those three? I'm curious. So we recognize that we are frustrated and angry. We recognize that we are happy or joyful. And we recognize that we are sad. And so these are the most common ones that people recognize. So with that being said, when you're dealing with a patient who is dealing with a really difficult time in their life, and God knows have I been in that, you know, in those shoes? We all have. <laughs> and, we, and that's a thing. And that really is the thing about emotional inclusion is that we all have. Do you think that you could achieve basically quicker results with a patient who's in your office saying, this is what I'm going through. And I just, I can't focus at work. I just, I can't do this. And you can give that patient tools and ways of coping, but would you think that you would be able to allow that patient to thrive quicker, to cope better and faster if you yourself knew the culture of the company? Definitely. And we need to know as well the layerings, right, of that culture. So for example, work is already stressful. Having a tough boss, as we had mentioned earlier, is another layer that adds having what we're experiencing now, which is this time during COVID. It's layering it up and it adds even more layers of complexity. And as a therapist, 
you need to understand those layers fully. You need to understand those contexts to even ask the right questions. So what you're saying is that indeed the relevancy of emotional inclusion, which is having a trained psychotherapist or therapist in all companies as a status quo to address the needs of their employees would be highly beneficial in the overall well-being and success of all companies out there? Yes. And you know, one of the limitations as well that I've seen my clients especially face during this time where many countries are in lockdown is that people are anxious. People don't know how to regulate their emotions during this time. I don't know about you, Molly, but I've experienced Zoom fatigue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? People are not sleeping well. They are, I mean, I I haven't been well for the last couple of days. And I think it's because I'm cooped in this place for such a prolonged time. It's getting dusty. My allergies are acting up. And we're experiencing so much blue light from our phones, from our computers. And it's seeping into our, you know, how we sleep. We're not sleeping well because of that blue light. And we're also not being able to distinguish as well personal time from work time. So we're actually working a lot more. We're working sometimes through the night, right? That's very true. I think these times have have really accentuated so much in terms of the realm of human emotion I find that these times are absolutely fascinating on so many levels. And on an emotional level, it's going to be very interesting to see how, you know, employees navigate the return to work, i.e. to the office post-lockdowns around the world. And I think that I'm sure there will be many studies that come out and address this matter and we'll see a lot of new phenomenons emerge in terms of the complexity of reintegration. I think it's fascinating and it's, it's really all about emotional inclusion here, which is my life mission to make emotional inclusion really be a new norm in terms of mindset. So I think it's really super interesting and we, yeah, I can't wait to, to watch this and witness it and Uh, have many more long conversations with you about it. Yeah. But you know, something that comes to mind, Molly, is like what you very rightly pointed out, our work is going to be changing, right? And what I actually see is, I think there's also going to be a different, there's going to be cost saving in organizations, not maybe in the shorter term, but in the longer term. Because we're realizing that many of us can actually stay at home to work, right? And companies like Twitter, like Square are saying to the employees, well, if you wish to, you can permanently stay at home. And so they're saving on office space. I think my plea to organizations is that this is such a great opportunity to reinvest this cost that they're saving into helping employees cope with this new change, as you pointed out and to invest in their well-being. And COVID is almost like giving us this chance to restart and to humanize people. And I really hate it 
when organizations just create very superficial ways of checking off kind of a little box from HR that says, okay, employee well-being. Yeah. Right. They throw a yoga class here and there. They throw, you know, motivation talk here and there. But we need to build a culture that is emotionally intelligent and that cares about people's well-being. You give me goosebumps because this is so on point and so what I believe in too. And I think the archaic ways of doing business are going to be swept under with the COVID chapter. And I think that it's time that corporations, large corporations to set the note on a global standpoint, be the change on that ladder. And I can't tell you how, how aligned I am with, with what you're saying. And by asking our employees to leave their emotions at the doorstep when they come to work, we also are effectively asking our employees to develop what I like to call sub-personalities. And I'd be interested, could you tell us a little bit about why this is so detrimental psychologically? We were just talking about the consequences of COVID. One of the ones that I really see in the leaders I work with is merging your work and physical spaces and merging your work and home personalities. It's exposing your work life to your home life and your home life to your work life. There is this meme that's being passed around where a wife is listening into her husband's phone conversation work conversation. And she's saying, I guess I'm married to a let's circle back kind of guy. And while that's funny, but it acknowledges this idea that we are in so many ways, different people in our work and different people in our personal lives. And one of the biggest way that we're different is in many work environments, we're asked to favor our cognitive self. We're rewarded for bringing our cognitive self to work. Don't you find that? Absolutely. So we're trained to think that that's more, in that sense, professional. But the thing is that when they do that, so let's say you're going through a really difficult time, and your company is telling you, well, you have to get over it, right? And you have to deal with it on your own time. They tell you implicitly that your feelings don't belong here. And I think everybody can relate to this. I've definitely had my emotions dismissed at one point or another in my life. And when people dismiss it, it feels pretty awful. And it doesn't just feel awful. Don't you think that it's psychologically so destructive? I do. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's, it's as if we're being told that expressing our emotions or even daring to talk about them in the wake of a difficult time, that it's a weakness and you should, against all odds, never, ever go there. And it's extremely paralyzing, I think, at the end of the day, isn't it? It is. People are told that keeping their emotions away is a strength at work. Right. So maybe let me bring some science into this, right? So 
our brains have two systems. It has the cognitive side, the prefrontal cortex, and it has the emotional side, the limbic system. And these two systems work so closely together all the time. In fact, research is showing that even our prefrontal cortex, which was thought of to be solely cognitive, is also being used for emotional regulation. But majority of the people actually view this as two different systems and that they are fundamentally different. And in my experience as a therapist and the work we are doing in psychology, we're seeing that you need to actually integrate these two sides of your brain to effectively regulate your emotions, which then leads to better decisions. It leads to more creativity. It leads to being inspired, being passionate, without that having that negativity weigh you down. So what you're saying for our listeners is that if I were to break it down, that our emotional side works as one with our cerebral side, that the two are effectively working as one for the the best possible outcome in terms of behavior. Exactly. And this is where we can really use our emotions as our strength and not our weakness. How do you find that balance effectively? How do you navigate that? Well, I think for me, I see it less as a balance as it is an integration. So when we are not integrating, when we are essentially performing, just seeing ourselves as purely cognitive beings or emotional beings, then let's say we're doing a cognitive task and we're shutting down one side of our brain. We're actually crippling that capacity to handle challenges. So I see clients all the time freeze in while doing presentations, right? Stage fright. It's so common. I see people lose their temper at work, even though they don't want to, but they don't have control. Because they lose touch with their emotional state and their gut feelings, which tell them what to do and how to steer the next move, because they're basically saying to their emotional side to shut up because they had that task to do, ultimately what's the most detrimental to them at the end of the day. Yeah, and emotions have such a powerful way of guiding us. But sometimes, you know, we always say that behavior, the way that we act is a choice. But sometimes when we let our emotions rule over us, our emotions are in control. So tell me, Leanne, how is this mindset undermining company success as a whole? So we see this in so many ways. We see this in performance. You know, as I spoke about earlier, that decreased productivity and emotional wellness. We see this in attrition and in burnout. Look at what happens when you have a high stress area that does not have an emotionally intelligent culture somewhere like, let's say, banking, Wall Street. We're even seeing a high suicide rate there. We're seeing high burnout. 
because they're working long hours with high stress and they're not being taught to regulate their emotions and the company culture does not support them in a way that lets them be able to deal with their emotions in a healthy way or to even use their emotions in a beneficial way. We've seen that, for example, in, in the States, that employee disengagement is actually costing companies a lot. And they're costing the US economy about 450 to 550 billion US dollars every year. And yet you think that they would open up their eyes to it as an urgency at this stage and really look into the matter of emotional inclusion in the workforce, wouldn't you? This is staggering. Exactly. And I think as managers and as leaders of organizations, we need to be able to attend to people's fears, to people's feelings. Otherwise, we're going to spend all of our time managing really what we call, I guess, difficult and troublesome behaviors. And it's going to be repeated over and over again. Yeah. Leanne, you've talked to me in the past about bilateral tapping as a tool. Can you share with our listeners what is it, what it is rather, and how, how does it work? So when we talked about the two sides of the brain's integrating, bilateral tapping is actually a neuropsychological tool that stimulates the rhythmic tapping that helps dissolve some of the emotional barriers and actually rewires the brain. It changes the brain's circuitry. So we're seeing that people who are anxious, people who have PTSD, well, in the past, they would have had talk therapy. But now having these neuropsychological tools like bilateral tapping is allowing them to integrate and to form new neural pathways a lot quicker. And instead of spending years and years and years talking through what they've experienced, now we're seeing changes happening in one session, two sessions. Wow. It, it's, it's really phenomenal. I don't know, Molly, do you think that we would have time to kind of just go through a really simple bilateral tapping exercise? I've never done this over audio before, but I think it could be pretty interesting. And it's just such an easy tool to help people to be able to reduce or to be able to regulate their emotions better and to be able to reduce some of that negativity that weighs them down. Leanne, I think it would be awesome. And I think our listeners would love this. So let's. <laughs> I'm not sure where this is going, guys, but let's. <laughs> I'm, I, I've never tried this over audio, but let's give this a shot. So this bilateral tapping is a really simple exercise you can do anywhere, right? So wherever you are, maybe just have a seat and close your eyes. And I want you to connect with a peaceful place. And I, what I want you to do is I want you to cross your two hands over yourself, like giving yourself a big hug. And I want you to start tapping your hands left, right, left, right, one at a time at a pace 
that is comfortable to you. Left, right, left, right. Now, with your eyes closed, I want you to imagine a place that feels very peaceful and very calm to you. A place that you have been to, or it, this could even be an imagined place. It could be the ocean, it could be the lake, could be in the mountains or by the beach. You could even be doing an activity that you love. I want you to think what is going around you, to take in those smells, to take in that vision. Is the sun rising? Is the sun setting? Is there a gentle breeze that's coming through? And notice who is around you. And when you have that strong sense in your body of that peaceful place, I want you to begin to tap. Left, right, left, right, left, right. And I want you to tap as long as it feels positive. If you start having strong negative memories, I want you to stop tapping and to reset, to go back to that peaceful place, to go back to that place of calm. And when you have that strong sense again in your body, you can start tapping again. And tap for 12 times, for 14 times, as long as it continues to feel positive. Okay. You can open your eyes. And this is what I use so often with my clients. And it allows them to bring down that level of anxiety, to bring down that level of disturbance almost immediately. Yeah. So that they can allow themselves space. They can allow themselves to not be controlled by their emotions. I love it. I love it, Leanne. You are so full of insights and amazing tools. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on. CEOs and leaders and corporates as a whole are doing the best they can with what we know. But I think that what you have spelt out today is the missing information that can allow us all to make even better decisions when it comes to our understanding, navigating, and benefiting from our emotions in the workplace. I also believe it's fair to say that we all have the capacity to utilize the emotional realm as our strength in the corporate world, yet we're just lacking the tools and the language. But they're here, and you shine light on the subject matter for us today in the most brilliant way. Leanne, where can people connect with you and continue to engage with you and these ideas? You can find me 
on She Loves Tech. You can find me through Instagram. My handle is Leanne Robes. And very soon, I'm also going to, it's in the works, I'm also going to be launching my own personal blog at leannerobes.com. And that will probably be ready in the next week or so. Awesome. So as we near the end of this amazing conversation, Leanne, I would like to ask you this final question. And it goes like this. What singlest, most important strategy would you give to people out there navigating their emotions whilst having to reintegrate office life post these COVID lockdowns around the globe? Wow. I think the single piece of advice I would give is for people to be kinder to themselves. I think we all need to remember that we are human and allow ourselves to be human. You know, sometimes if we mess up, be kinder to yourself. And when we're kinder to ourselves, we're able to have so much more space to do more things, to be more productive. Mm, This is good. This is really good. Thank you so much once again, Leanne, for agreeing to come on the Emotional Inclusion Podcast with me. Your professional and scientific input on emotional inclusion's legitimacy in the workplace is fascinating. And spending time with you this morning has been truly inspiring. As you know, it's my mission to bring this new mindset to the world. And I really hope that people will follow up and take the advice and stay engaged with what you do. Friends, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. And until next time, be bold and be brave. Thanks for listening to my conversation today. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to receive new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, you can check out emotionalinclusion.com slash the podcast.